bit of a mess after the worship. I really feel, how can you preach after that? It's just commentary. We can continue, so I'm not going to be long. We've been on a, a series um, here, Revival and Reformation. Um, I'm just going to read something that I've been reading up. Um, it's something we've been praying for, for Oatswaring. I know Amor's been praying for many, many years for what God is doing at the moment in Oatswaring. Um, there's so much prayer and faith that's gone out for us to experience what we have at the moment. It's something that's precious, it's something that's sacred, and it's something that we should value highly. Um, yeah, a guy called J.I. Packer, he said, Revival means the work of God restoring to a moribund church. A moribund church is like something that's at the point of death. But God, God restores to that in a manner out of the ordinary, those standards of Christian life and experience which the New Testament sets out as being entirely ordinary. And a right-minded concern for revival will express itself in a longing that the Spirit may shed God's love abroad in our hearts in greater power. A right-minded concern for revival will express itself in a longing that the Spirit may shed God's love abroad in our hearts in greater power. For it is with this that personal revival begins, and by this that revival in the church once begun is sustained. For it's with this that personal revival begins, and by this that revival in the church once begun is sustained. I'm going to read from 1 John 4, verse 8 to 10, and verse 16. It says, Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed His love among us. He sent His one and only Son into the world, that we might live through Him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Verse 16, so we know and rely on the love God has for us. Blessed are those who can say they know and rely on the love God has for them. They can know and rely on the love God has for them. This morning I want to ask you, is it easy for you to accept the reality that God loves you? Can I ask this, when was the first time you realized that God loves you? Can you share with someone next to you an experience of that realization? Is it something that's imprinted, that you have an impression in your heart or mind that you know, that you know, that you know that God loves you? See, revival starts with us. It starts with me. It starts with me. I cannot trust God to revive someone else if I can't trust him to revive me, to shed his love abroad in my life in a powerful way to revive this moribund person, this person that's at the point of death, to the fact that it becomes the New Testament reality becomes the ordinary life for me. 
And I'm challenged by this deeply because when I was preparing for the sermon, I realized but life happens and it's not always easy to trust and live in the reality of God's abundant love and goodness in my life. But it's there for us. So revival starts with me. Revival starts with us as a community. So the love of God, in the times we live in, the definition of love is something that's being contended for in different spheres. It brings a lot of confusion and debate. False ideas and experiences have grown like thorn bushes around, as, as hedges around the garden of the love of God. But to people who are willing to cut away to get to the center, it's well worthwhile. It's well worthwhile. Happy are those who can say God is love and we know and rely on the love God has for us. To know God's love is to experience heaven on earth. According to what the Bible teaches, it's not an experience that's just there for a privileged few or for a certain elect, but it is a normal part of the Christian life for every born-again believer. I'm going to read from the book of Romans 5, verse 5 to 8. Hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, when we had nothing to offer God, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person. Though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Augustine wrote about this and he thought God shed love for God in our hearts, meaning our affection towards God. But that's not what the scripture means. God pours out his affection towards us, over us. Three things I just want to emphasize. Paul knew that this was the normal experience for every Christian. He wrote to the Romans, although he had not met one of them yet, he spoke of this as, it was, as if it was normative for each one of them, although he did not know whether they had experienced it or not. He knew if you had an encounter with, if you were washed by the blood of Jesus, you knew the reality of God's love being poured out of you. So three truths I want to emphasize on Paul's word. It, it deserves comment. The first one is the verb. It says, it has been poured, which literally means poured or tipped out. It's the same word used for the outpouring of the Spirit himself. It means a free flow or a large quantity, an abundance there's a word, it says an inundation. An inundation means like an, an abundant overflow, a flood. There's been floods in Joburg recently. And there's this video that did the rounds of people herding cattle. I don't know if you saw that. But all of them, they could have done it on a boat. <laughs> Basically, they were on um, horses and the cattle, it's just the heads that are sticking out. And the rest, the whole, the whole field is completely flooded. It's an overwhelming abundance of God's love has flooded our inmost hearts. Not a faint or fitful impression, but a deep and overwhelming one. When we think about the flood of God, many of us, we see a little river 
we see we don't have a picture or an experience of abundance. But that's not what we see in God's word. And the reality of a revival is to, to experience God's standards of the word as normative again. That, he re, that we allow him to restore that, we, that which belongs to us in Christ Jesus. Because that's what he had died for. It's not a faint or a fitful impression but a deep and overwhelming one. The tense of the verb is the second thing. It's the present perfect tense. I studied English, believe it or not, they actually accept and hand out English degrees in Bloemfontein. Although all your lecturers speak Afrikaans, not in class though, but, but it implies a settled state or a consequence on a completed action. What does that mean? Done. Settled. Finished. Completed. Nothing to be done. You can't do anything more. God has already poured out completely his love that flooded us. And that knowledge, Paul, he wrote that that knowledge would fill them now. Just like a valley that has been flooded already is filled with water and saturated. So we should live in the saturated love of God that has flooded us and fills our life daily. And Paul assumed that all his readers like himself will be living in the enjoyment of a strong and abiding sense of God's love for them. Thirdly, notice that this knowledge or this inner knowing of God's love is part of the regular ministry of the Holy Spirit to all who receive them, all who are born again. It doesn't speak that it's something, you know, when he says not all of you will speak in tongues, Paul speaks of the Holy Spirit, or he says he speaks of desiring the gift. But the love of God, it's the ordinary work of the Spirit for every single believer. There's no one exempt from it. We can ask God to encounter us with his love because that is not something that he is just for an elective. It's for every single person on this earth we can trust that God wants to flood their hearts with his love I love that this is something that is prized within this congregation I love it when we do deliverance that we say we start with God must encounter us with his love deliverance is an outflow it's a secondary ministry to the primary, one of the primary ministries of the Holy Spirit that God wants to flood our hearts with His love. The gifts of the Spirit, it's an outflow of the prime, it's a sign that points towards the love of Jesus that He wants to flood over each one of us. Yes, tongues, there's an interpretation. What does it mean? It's going to point towards Jesus. He loves us so much. That's the glory of God that he came and he gave his son. Prophecy points towards Jesus, the love of God. He, he's crazy about his bride. It's the glory of God. The Corinthian church, they made the secondary things of utmost importance Paul had to remind them, listen, if, it's, if you do not realize 
the work of the Spirit is about the love of Jesus, you're missing the plot. There are some things I'm just going to share about love, spirit, and light. God is love cannot be com the complete truth of God being revealed in the Bible. What I mean by that is, it is a summary of the complete truth, but it does not discard the rest of the Word of God. What, does I, what do I mean by that? The God who made the world, who judged it by the flood, who called Abram to be a nation for himself, who disciplined and corrected Israel through the wilderness, who punished the disobedient and the rebellious nations and, and judged them, executed justice, through, that um, gathered his children and disciplined them in the Old Testament through the conquest, through captivity, through exile, who sent his son into the world, that God is love. It does not mean that his heart and his actions differed, as the world might say. But God is love. He won't judge the wicked. It's because of his love that he judges the wicked. It's because of his love that he chooses to discipline. And it's, a, it's perverse to question the character of the biblical witness, as some do, calling into question the severity of God's justice because of his love. Because that, is, that type of love does not refer to the love of God. His love is a holy love. So two statements that the book of John clarifies also about who God is. He says God is spirit. And the love of God needs to be seen in this. That refers to John 4.24. You know the story of a Samaritan woman. God liberated her from the reality that worship and his presence was only limited to a certain geographical area. He was not confounded to the limitations of humans. God's glory fills the whole earth. It's no longer just one spot. The spirit contrasts the flesh. God is not like us. We can only be present at one place at a time. God is omnipresent, his spirit. And God is free from limitations. With him there is no variation or shadow due to change, as the book of James referred to. His love for us does not fluctuate day to day. You know, he woke up, oh no, I'm not in a good mood. This morning I'm not going to meet with Luke. Um, I just don't feel like it. That's not the God we serve. He's not like us. He doesn't have a flesh that he has to bring under control. His spirit is above our ways. There are no inconsistencies in the love of God. His feelings towards us in Christ does not change. He loves us wholly and fully. His love is as strong as death. Many waters cannot quench His love. Rivers cannot wash it away. And nothing can separate those whom He has once embraced from His love. And secondly, God is light. Statements made to Christians who claimed, the statement was made to Christians who claimed to believe in Jesus and have fellowship with Him, but it was disconnected from their morality. They claimed they had no sin in the book of John. And then they say, John said, but if you claim that you have no sin, you're a liar. The truth has no place in your life. Only in God there is no darkness. By light it means holiness or purity as defined by God's standards in the word of God. Darkness means 
depravity and perversity as defined by those same standards. Those who walk in darkness cannot claim to have the experience of fellowship with the love of God. Does God's love change? No, it doesn't. But we cannot claim we experience that fellowship with Him if we choose to walk in darkness. We are then strangers to, the, to a true relationship with Jesus Christ. God's love is light. It is a holy love. It is not divorced from His righteousness and justice. And when He embraces us with His love, He works within us because of His love to change us and to form us into His likeness because that is what His love demands and does for us. In preparation, in the worship, I had two pictures that I saw. The one was of a, a tube of a mountain bike that was patched up so many places and filled with holes. And um, this is something that I've experienced in my life. It's not always ple pleasant. You know, you, you have to pump it up all the time. You go up for a while and then you hit a, even just a rock and the, there's this stuff inside. I don't even know what you call it nowadays. I haven't been on a bike in probably 10 years, but then it, 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 it patches the, the, the hole by itself. But it reaches a point where this stuff doesn't even work anymore because it leaks out. And I just saw new tubes that were rolled up that God wants to come and replace. Some of us have been hit by life and negative experiences and you struggle to experience the love of God. God wants to make new with a touch from His love. It's difficult to experience that truth. See, the Word of God says, how are we more than conquerors? How do we live as victors in the reality of, of, of what God has called us to? It does not say by trying harder, by giving God more money, by, you know, you have to love your wife perfectly. It does not say, you, you know, if you, for two weeks you can stop swearing and then, you know, then you're going to be a conqueror. It says, by knowing, we are more than conquerors through the love of Christ. Through the love of Christ. When we live in the reality of knowing that we are loved by Jesus, we can walk in victory because we have access to the power of the Spirit of God. That is what sustains us. It's the fuel that revives our hearts. What do we believe about the love of God for us? You see, the reality is it's easy to accept that God loves us in our moments of greatest success, when it goes well, when we experience goodness in our lives. The challenge is we are often not defined by our greatest success, but by our lowest lows. In our trauma, in the places where we struggle to see that love. Family member might fall sick and die. A relationship might not work out. There's a place where the provision might dry up. The reality is God's love for us 
does not change. God embraced our brokenness and our broken world, our lowest of lows. He came from the highest of heights. And there's no place he did not embrace. He went down to the most lowly, depraved place there could be to reveal our love. That place where you feel deserted, where you feel abandoned, that is the place Jesus came to, to, so you could experience his love. 